You are listening to the Keith Craft Podcast. Get ready to think better and be encouraged through weekly episodes created with you in mind. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Today is January 9th, 2020, and it's the day that I turned 60 years old. It's hard to believe. It's hard to believe that I'm 60 years old. I can honestly say that I don't feel like that I'm 60. I feel really the same way that I did in my 30s. And I can't describe that to you except uh, I feel like spirit, soul, and body. Of course, I've grown, I've developed myself. And really what brought up this particular podcast on my birthday was my daughter, Keela Craft uh, Ambrose, if you want to follow a young person who's making a real difference and you're listening to this podcast, I would encourage you to follow her at Keela Craft Ambrose on uh, Instagram. But she said, Dad, why don't you do a Reflections at 60 podcast? I think people would like to hear about some of your life lessons at 60. And so I told her, I said, Oh, you've heard that your whole life. She goes, yeah, but there's a lot of people who haven't heard it. And when you see somebody that's older than you, that's successful, that has a good marriage, that has a good family, that has a proven track record, people would really benefit from that. And so I thought, okay, well, I think I will do that. So first of all, thank you for joining me today on this podcast. And what I'm going to do is give you some of my life lessons and do it. Uh, there's so many, but what I've done is I've tried to break it down decade by decade. So really six decades of life, six life lessons that hopefully will be good takeaways for you today in your own life. And I really want to encourage you to take blocks of time in your life, whether it's uh, in a year, you know, a year in review. Of course, we've just come out of 2019, and again, this is January 9th, 2020, so it's always good to look back and say, what's my life lesson? Whether it's something that's difficult, whether it's something you had to struggle with, uh, whether it was a relational failure, a business failure, or even something very positive, a, a dynamic win for your life, is just really, really decide what your life lessons are, because In my book, Your Divine Fingerprint, I talk about life lessons and the significance of life lessons and that really your life lessons are your life lessons. You're you're the only one that can learn in your life from your own life and what you go through. And I I say it like this, it's a leadershipology. Um, In fact, I've coined that phrase, leadershipology, if you'd like a free leadership quote every day. Uh, You can go to leadershipology.com and sign up or go to my website, keithcraft.org, and sign up. And we don't sell that mailing list or anything like that. It's just, it's something daily, a daily encouragement, a daily leadership thought that comes right to your email uh, box. And so anyway, leadershipology is basically like biology or kinesiology or psychology. The ology is the philosophy. So leadershipology really is a philosophy of leadership. And, um, and so with that said, um, one of the 
the leadershipologies that that I have is that your life lessons are your life lessons. And if you don't learn from your life lessons, then people will have to deal with you based on what you didn't learn in your life that was only yours to learn. On the contrary, if you learn your life lessons, then what you learn and how you grow will, everybody else in your life will be the beneficiary of that. So again, a leadershipology, a thought process is when you grow through what you go through, you'll create a lifetime of breakthroughs. Some people never have breakthroughs in their life. They never have a breakthrough when it comes to their, their business. They don't have a breakthrough when it comes to their relationships. They don't have a breakthrough when it comes to their finances. And really the opposite of breakthrough is breakdown. So we've got a lot of people who in their life, life is breaking them down. That person leaving their life broke them down. The financial loss broke them down. So you're either going to have a breakthrough in your life or you're going to have a breakdown in your life. And if you look around, if you watch the news, which I don't, if you read the news, which I don't, if you listen to people's uh, perception and their opinions about what's happened in their life, if you just observe uh, humanity in general, you're going to see that a lot of people live on the breakdown side of life rather than the breakthrough side of life. But again, I want to say it one more time. A leadershipology that I've written is, when you grow through what you go through, you create a breakthrough. So with that said, one of the reasons that your life lessons are so important is because if you learn your life lessons, then everybody in your life benefits from it. If you don't learn your life lessons, Everybody in your life will have to deal with you because of what you didn't learn based on what you went through. And so your life lessons, when you learn your life lessons, then what happens is it leads to order in your life. It leads to opportunities in your life. It leads to increased measure of rule in your life. When you don't learn your life lessons, there's disorder in your life. There's crisis in your life. There's, uh, again, dysfunction in your life because you didn't learn what was only yours to learn in your life. And what's so powerful is it's not what you go through that matters the most. It's what you grow through that matters the most. It's not what happens to you that matters the most. It's what happens in you that matters the most. So again, that's just the basis. That's kind of the, the thought behind what I'm going to teach you today as it relates to my own life lessons, which there are so many. But like I said, I'm going to give you six life lessons that I've learned in six decades. I was born in 1960. So the number one life lesson is from 1960 to 1970, and that is I learned that God had a plan for my life. Very early, I learned that God had a plan for my life. One of the greatest things that my parents did for me is my parents took me to church. My parents exposed me to the gospel. That's good news. 
my parents were not religious people. They weren't even really spiritual people. My mother was spiritual, but my dad didn't even know the Lord, but he went to church. He didn't know the Lord until he was 67 and had a massive heart attack and had an encounter with God. And then he finally believed that God really was real. But, but at least he went to church and he, he brought us to church. I have an older brother, a younger sister. We were, we were put in an environment where we could develop our faith, where we could develop the inside of our life, where we could develop a moral code, where we could develop why right is right and why wrong is wrong. You see, right is not right uh, from a political perspective. Right is not right from a parental perspective. Right is not right uh, from a societal perspective. Right is right because ultimately, righteousness, God is a God of righteousness. In other words, righteousness is not just doing more things right than you did wrong, but it's having a philosophy of righteousness. What is your philosophy of right and wrong based on? For most people who do not have any kind of faith, their right and wrong is based on societal norms. Their right and wrong is based on the law. Their right and wrong is based on civility. But there is a higher order with right and wrong, and it's based on the Word of God. And it's really about being like God. So the more we become like God, the more righteous we become. Not the more right we become. We're not right-wing. That's political. Again, that's, see, that's political people saying, well, you know, right-wing, left-wing. This is right. This is wrong. Uh, truth is relative. No, it's not. It's not your truth, nor is it my truth. He is, Jesus is, the way, the truth, and the life. And so it's very important that we understand that. So when you're a parent and you have no moral basis or no intrinsic faith basis for what's right and wrong, you're not going to give your children the kind of foundation that they could have that is more than just a moral compass, but that that, that empowers them to bring right into wrong situations. So again, from the time uh, I was one to the time I was 10, my parents took me to church. I can remember at nine years of age, which would have been 1969, I made not only a decision to accept the call of God on my life. I can remember being at the altar and my mother was on one side and my mama and my grandmother was on the other side. And just about every Sunday, you know, we went to a church where they opened the altars. They opened, it's a place where you would go kneel in the front of the church. And they would open it for anybody that wanted to come and pray. And I just always felt compelled to go pray. And in that process, I felt like, hey, God has a plan for my life. He has a plan for my life. And so what I want to say to you, if you're listening to this, is that God has a plan for your life. But if you never acknowledge God, if you never are in environments where you can learn about God and know about God and know about God's love for you, then you're going to go through life trying to figure out your own plan. So for me, it was so important. It became, again, way more than a moral compass. It became an internal faith guide. Faith, by the way, all faith is, is believing that God's way is better than yours. So you put your faith in something. 
You put your faith in people. And guess what you'll find out if you live long enough? You can't put your faith in people. People let you down. You know why you can't put your faith in people? Because you can't even really put your faith in yourself. It's really the truth. So we've got to find our basis for faith is in God. And then we can know that, hey, we have a higher purpose. You know, I love the Blue Zone study, and some of you have heard about that. But it was a 25-year study that was done in eight different places around the world where people are living beyond 100, and, be, and, and they're living, and they're healthy. And so they did a study on places like Okinawa, Japan. Like, the only place in the United States was Loma Linda, California. It wasn't just because the people were Seventh-day Adventists that they were living to be 100 and beyond, and their lifestyle, their exercise, their faith, and all of that. But the one common denominator, from Greece to Japan to America and the other five different places in the world where people are living to be a hundred and beyond and they're healthy, the one common denominator is that they had meaning and purpose. God having a plan for my life and me knowing that by the time I was 10 years old, I mean, in one decade, God, you have a plan for my life. It set the course for the rest of my life. It is the most important life lesson that I've ever learned. And I'm so grateful to my parents. I'm so grateful to my memo. I'm so grateful to the spiritual influences in my life that, that strengthened me as a person, as a person of faith, believing that God's way is better than mine and that he had a plan for my life. Secondly, from 1970 to 1980, so from the time I was 10 until the time I was 20, my number one life lesson in that decade, which is the number two life lesson, is knowing what matters most will direct who matters most to you. So let me say that again. Knowing what matters most will direct who matters most to you. An old friend of mine who passed away many years ago was a mentor of Zig Ziglar, Charles Tremendous Jones, said this. He said, 10 years from now, you'll be the summation of two things, the books that you've read and the people that you've met. What's so important in your life is that you know what matters most in your life so that you can live a life that most matters. In 1975, I was 15 years of age, and my father, who'd been a Dallas policeman in Dallas, Texas, announced that we were moving to Slidell, Louisiana. To make a long story short, my first day there, I met a girl. And within a month, we started dating, and I asked her to be my girlfriend. Many of you know this story. It's in my book, Your Divine Fingerprint, in detail. But I sat down with her on January the 20th, 1976. I had just turned 16 on January 9th. And again, this recording is on January 9th, 2020. So in 1976, on January 9th, I sat down with her and I drew a triangle. And I said, hey, I'd like, I'd like to ask you to be my girlfriend, but before you answer, I just want to tell you the way I believe life works. She said, okay. And so I put her name on the left bottom of the triangle, my name on the right bottom of the triangle, and God at the top of the triangle. Then I drew two lines from her name to God and my name from God on either side of the triangle, and it pointed to the top. And I said, here's what I believe about relationships. I believe if you put God first and I'll put God first, we'll meet at the top. 
and I believe we'll please God without trying to please each other. Then I drew an arrow from her name to my name. In other words, a line with arrows on both ends of the line that point to her name and my name. And I said, I believe if we decide to be together, no matter how long we're together, if we'll just put God first, that, uh, that, that it'll make whatever we decide to do work. I said, what do you feel about that? She said, well, I, I feel good about that. And I said, well, there's a couple other things. I said, um, first of all, there's a scripture in the Bible that says, don't let the sun go down on your anger and give your enemy a foothold. And I said, so really what that says is that the Bible gives us 24 hours to resolve anger. So if you're going to be my girlfriend, can we just try to work out all of our issues within 24 hours and really work towards not leaving each other mad? I said, that's what divorced people do. They get mad. They walk away. They walk out. They walk away. They stop talking. I said, I just don't want to have those kind of relationships. Now, remember, I was 16 years old. I said, how do you feel about that? She goes, sure. I, I, I said, so communication is very important to me. And I said, and then lastly, I said, if you say yes, then on the 20th of every month for as long as we're together, I'm going to celebrate you. I'm going to honor the yes. And so she goes, what does that mean? I said, I, I don't know what it all means. I said, I'm just going to remember the 20th. Well, to make a long story short, uh, that was 528 months ago, and this month will be 529 months ago, and I've honored that yes, because she not only became my girlfriend, she became my fiance, and then my fiance, who became my wife. And so on the 20th of every month, I've honored her. And the reason I say this is because I didn't realize it, but I was establishing core values. I was saying, here's what matters most to me. And, uh, and so when I knew what mattered most to me, it directed who mattered most to me, and that was her. We dated for eight and a half years, and then we got married. And uh, here we've been married all these years later, and I have three beautiful children. So again, what's the life lesson? Knowing what matters most will direct who matters most to you. Now that's that's relationships for your enjoyment, that's relationships for friendships, that's relationships in who your spouse will be, but that's also in business. Third life lesson, 1980 to 1990. This is a big one. Every dream may not come true, but the most important ones do. My third life lesson in the third decade of my life as I turned, again, 20 and now 20 to 30, 1980 to 1990, was every dream may not come true, but the most important ones do. Sheila was proof of that because we got married uh, in 1983. And so in that, in that third decade of my life, really second going into the third decade of my life, um, I got married. It was proof that that every dream doesn't come true, but the most important ones do. Uh, I also started an organization called Strike Force, and uh, and that was during the time also when I started to have multiple streams of income. By the time I was 27, which was 1987, was the first time I had multiple streams of income. But one of the dreams that didn't come true for me was I was a college basketball player. And I don't have time to go into the story. And you don't probably want to know the whole story. Maybe sometime I'll tell it. I don't know. But I, I, I went to an NAIA school. I had 256 offers from colleges and universities from around the country, including LSU, uh, many, many other schools. 
to play basketball, to play football at a high school, graduated in 1978. And I chose a small Christian school. And and in choosing this school, they had never given a four-year full scholarship. And so I said, if I was going to go there, that's what they would need to do. Long story short, my career did not work out. Um, the coach ended up in my senior year, they asked me not to play, uh, and he was dismissed. And it was really his, and I know it may sound crazy to you, but it really is true. It was really his handling of me, uh, and, and therefore it revealed how he handled other players, and he was asked to be dismissed. Well, I was still on full-ride scholarship. They just asked me to not, to not play. What was interesting is during that same time, in 1982, I received a letter from the Dallas Cowboys, they invited me for a tryout, and in 1982, I made the Dallas Cowboys uh, as a tight end. Again, that's too long of a story to go through. NFL strike happened. Uh, some of you will remember that. You can go back and Google this and see this, timelines on this stuff. But So my dream of being a great athlete in terms of college basketball player, uh, pro football player, that did not come to pass. But again, what's the life lesson? Every dream may not come true, but the most important ones do. Very powerful. Uh, also, during that time, uh, 1987, my firstborn son was born. My daughter, uh, Keela, was born. And then in 1990, my daughter, Whitney, was born. So these are dreams that came true. So Sheila, my family, I started Strike Force, an organization that traveled all over the country, spoken uh, almost every state in the United States was the number one uh, high school assembly program for young people featured on World News Tonight with Peter Jennings. Again, every dream may not come true, but the most important ones do. Fourth life lesson between 1990, 1990, I turned 30 years of age, between 30 and 40, which was 2000. Here's the life lesson. Your alignments are more important than your assignments and will eventually determine your lifetime assignments. Let me say that one more time. Your alignments are more important than your assignments and will eventually determine your lifetime assignments. There's a lot I could say about this because this is a personal revelation. That's why it's a life lesson for me. But I discovered between 1990 and 2000 that the people that I aligned my life with we're going to take my life up or down. We're going to help cause success or failure in my life. And so oftentimes, especially early in our life, and some people never get this revelation. They never learn the life lesson that your alignments are more important than your assignments and that eventually your alignments will determine your lifetime assignments. And so they're focused on what they do. They're focused on products that they develop, products that they sell. Uh, companies that they work with, and they're not focused on the who or the who's in their life. They're focused on the what in their life. Long story short, one alignment that happened in 1996, uh, met a man by the name of Mike Hayes. I brought my family to that church. Several years later, when I felt like I was supposed to start a church, uh, he blessed us to start a church in Frisco, Texas. And the truth is now 20 years later, I wouldn't be where I was if I hadn't met an alignment by the name of Mike Hayes.
And in your life, it's the same way. You are where you are, not because you got there by yourself. None of us get to where we are by ourselves. It's some alignment along the way that helps perpetuate a lifetime assignment that we have. I could say a lot more about that. Don't have much more time. We got about seven more minutes. So let me get to number five. I turned 40 in 2000. So between 2000 and 2010, this is the fifth life lesson. Uh, here's the life lesson. Some friends are for a reason, some are for a season, and some are for a lifetime. I uh, started our church in Frisco, Texas in the year 2000. In fact, it was January 9th, 2000, my, my 40th birthday. 20 years ago today, I started our church. And again, uh, people started coming. We were one of the fastest growing churches in America. We built our first building in 2004. Uh, people were coming literally by the thousands in this small Texas town of about 28,000 people. Little did we know God had placed us in one of the fastest growing cities in America, but that would only come to light in 07, 08, 09. And uh, so long story short, my son was about 14 years old. We're driving along one day in my 81 Corvette, white Corvette. I loved older Corvettes. Uh, red interior, big Kenwood speaker in the back. Some of y'all remember that great sound system. And uh, my son said, Dad, hey, what's wrong? And I said, well, nothing really, son. You see, I'd never talked to him about anything about the church or people. And anytime you're in the people business, which we all are, that's where all your pain comes from. That's where all your struggle comes from. By the time uh, 02, 03, 04 rolled around, we had hundreds and hundreds of people that were coming, but we also had people that were leaving. And long story short, a guy that I had led to the Lord back in the 80s was now married with a family. He moves to this area. He was so excited. He said, man, you're my spiritual father. I can't wait to be in the church. And we, it was like this major family reunion, literally. And about four months later, he came to me and said, man, this is really not for me and my family. And I'm telling you, it tore my heart out because I had led that guy to the Lord when he was in high school. And so we're driving along. My son said, so I was just contemplating this as I was in the car with my son. My son said, dad, what's wrong? He could tell something was wrong. So you know what? He was 14. I thought, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share this one thing with him. I said, well, Josh, you know, I love people and I love, I love leading people. I love having a church where people aren't just getting converted, but we're helping, we're helping them transform into who God created them to be. And it's just hard on me when people decide that we're not them and they're not us. And it's just hard on me, son. And uh, so I tell him the story about this guy. And uh, I said, you know, he left. And I've just got a hole in my heart because I really cared about him. You know, it wasn't a negative thing at all. It was just, it wasn't a fit for him, you know. And so after I shared this with my son, about 60 seconds of silence, and at 14, here's what he said. Dad, you know, some friends are for a reason, some are for a season, and some are for a lifetime. Just let it go. That day in my little Corvette, man, I started crying. I said, son, God just spoke to you. That ministers to me so much. That's what I'm going to do. And from that day forward, I decided, you know what? There's some friends that are for a reason. 
embrace that. Some are for a season, embrace that. But then some, they're for a lifetime. And those are few and far between, but no matter what kind of relationships that you have, always see it as giving your best, be all in, because you just might have a chance to have a lifetime relationship with somebody. And I could tell you at 60 years of age, uh, while still to this day, I think about that guy, um, think about his family, but the truth is we're far removed from that. 20 years later, he chose not to be in my life. And, and there are wonderful people that God has brought into my life. And some of them have been 20 and 30 and 35 years in my life. And, um, so again, some friends are for a reason, some are for a season and some are for a lifetime. Well, number six, 2010, I turned 50. And from 2010 to 2020 today, this is the sixth life lesson. And that is leading other people is contingent on you leading yourself so that what you believe is transformationally proven in your life and creates a path of followable excellence for others. I know that's a mouthful, but let me say it again. My, my life lesson between 50 and 60 was this. Leading other people is contingent on you leading yourself so that what you believe is transformationally proven in your life and creates a path of followable excellence for others. I can tell you that our church has thousands of people. I also have the privilege of coaching um, 140-plus CEOs, entrepreneurs. I conduct six different masterminds in three different states and about to add another fourth state in 2020 in California. Very excited about that. But I've discovered something about leadership, and that is that there's a lot of people that talk life coaching. There's a lot of people that talk about leadership. There's a lot of people that don't understand leadership. The last, the last rung on the leadership ladder is positional leadership. So if you have a position of leadership, that doesn't make you a leader. Just because you're a parent doesn't mean you're a leader. Just because you're a boss doesn't mean you're a leader. Just because you're the CEO of a company doesn't make you a leader. The litmus test of leadership is self-leadership. It's how do you lead yourself? Because ultimately, as a leader, whatever it is that you believe about anything, God, money, relationships, marriage, family, potential, opportunity, it doesn't matter what you believe, if it's not transformationally proven in your own life, then you're not going to lead people well. So, so leading other people is contingent on you leading yourself so that whatever you believe is transformationally proven. In other words, the change has happened in you and in your life based on what you believe, and that creates a path of followable excellence for others. And I can tell you, as I go into now my 60s, boom, the it's, I'm at halftime in Jesus' name. I mean, I'm believing for 60 more good, healthy years. But as I go into my 60s, I, I not only want to lead myself better, but I want to continually to prove not just the things that I believe work, but that what I believe about God works. 
what I believe about the Bible works, what I believe about what God says about money works, what I believe about God saying about relationships work. I want to spend the rest of my life as a, Jesus called it, a living epistle. In other words, a, a, a book, your life is a book that people read. I wrote something when I was in college. You're writing a gospel, a chapter each day. By deeds that you do and words that you say, men read what you write, whether faithless or true. What is the gospel according to you? What is success according to you? What is good according to you? What is right according to you? What is a win according to you? You see, whatever you believe, there's one baseline question. I call it the effectiveness question. And that is, it doesn't matter what you believe. The question is, how's that working for you? How's that working for you? So no matter what you believe about people, places, things, God, money, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, at the end of the week, at the end of the month, at the end of the year, at the end of the season, how is that working for you? And I go back to my number one life lesson. The basis for everything I do is I believe God has a plan. He has a plan for my life, but he also has a plan for me to fulfill. And I believe part of his plan is to help me help other people reach their full God-given potential. And therefore, my last life lesson is I've got to lead myself well. And I've got to transformationally prove whatever it is that I believe so that it creates a path of followable excellence for others. Well, that's all the time we have. Thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. And I, I hope my reflections at 60, I hope that my six life lessons in six decades have spoken to your heart. And I hope in your weeks, months, years, decades to come, that you'll draw your own life lessons and learn your own life lessons so that others can benefit from the life lessons that you've lived and that you've learned and that you've transformationally proven. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Keith Craft Podcast. For more information on personal coaching, masterminds, and other leadership resources, go to keithcraft.org. You can also stay connected by following at Keith Craft on all social platforms.